I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Happy Monday. It's been a good weekend, a good Easter weekend. I hope everybody had a good time, stayed safe, saw family, do whatever it is that you you guys and girls like to do on an Easter weekend. Me personally, I like to watch basketball. I consumed a very large amount of basketball over the weekend. Don't feel sorry for me. It's what I enjoy. Feel sorry for my wife because obviously she doesn't enjoy it as much. <laughs> the South has got two wins. They beat the Houston Rockets. Okay, the Houston Rockets haven't been great lately but a win's a win and then they beat the charlotte hornets okay the charlotte hornets are patched up on the back of a real killer road stretch but they still beat the charlotte hornets there's a lot to unpack here i'm joined by my boy my former co-host my compadre mr tim shields doing his thing over with clns how you doing today tim doing great man thank you for having me on of course bro of course you know i got you now Let's get jumping. There's so much we need to touch on. And there's uh, some points that make me really happy, some points that make me less happy, but none of them are going to make me sad. So it's really good to get this episode in the books. Anybody listening, I apologize. This episode's later. I was trying to record at 1.30 a.m. this morning, my time. But um, I decided against that because it was 1.30 a.m. And I just did not want to do it, to be quite honest with you. I hope you can understand. Let's look at the Houston. In fact, no, let's look at the, the developments. Instead of looking at games individually, let's look at what's changed in the way the Celtics are approaching games over the last few weeks, over the last week or weekend or however you want to put it. I think we'd be doing ourselves and the listeners a disservice if we didn't start with the ball movement, right? With the way that they're swinging the ball side to side, the fact that they're now trying to penetrate and cause reactionary kickouts due to that penetration, We've seen a lot more um, a lot more screening actions happening off ball, which is great. It's something that I've been begging for for most of the season. We've seen a lot of backdoor cuts. We've seen some great like um, some great flare screens happening off the corners. I'm really happy personally with the development of this offense, and I think in large part we saw that come to life the most since Evan Fournier found his shooting his shooting ability. He had a rough start to life in Boston, got hot in the last quarter against Houston. And that last quarter was when we really started to see that penetration pay dividends beyond just finding Kemba, Jason, or Jalen. I think it also gives them another shooter, right? I'm trying to think was the last time we've seen a shooter like this in Boston. I mean, it's not just like Evan Fournier is just a shooter. Like, he's just a pure scorer. He's able to move with the ball. He's able to create we saw multiple times during that game in Charlotte where he was throwing up lobs to Rob Williams. He's able to open up the floor in a lot of ways that I don't think we've seen in Boston in a long time. He's probably the best guy they've added in a long time since, ironically enough, Isaiah Thomas. I think that's pretty hilarious that the last time the Celtics traded for somebody, it was Isaiah Thomas, and he changed the entire dynamic of that team in that season. And not to try and compare the two too much, but – Evan Fournier has that impact level and he's got that skill level, especially with the system that Boston already has in place. You know, you're not depending on Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker hit all your threes for you or hoping that Marcus Smart has a good shooting night. Uh, You've got a guy who is locked in so far and 
you look at the numbers from these games. You've got him going seven for 11 uh, in that Houston game, setting a career high for him, which I I was shocked that he's only hit seven. But even then, seven threes in a game, that's a really solid performance. And then he went four for five in that game against Charlotte. I believe he finished the night with, let's see here. Yeah, he was a plus 24 in the night, 17 points, six assists, two steals, and a block. So contributing in a lot of ways. So the fact that they've got another guy in there that they can depend upon, and he ran that fourth quarter unit uh, to close out the game against Charlotte, that's big. It's another guy that they can lean on, and that's huge for this team, especially with guys with tired legs. What's encouraging is he's still figuring out where to play within this roster. He's still Guys are still learning about where his spots are, where he likes to receive the ball, where he's most effective with the ball. And for him to be having an impact like this while everybody's still figuring out how to play together, how to blend together, that only shows you the level of impact he's going to be able to provide once everything else kind of falls into place, you know? Like Rob Williams spoke about in the post-game press conference. I like to he Rob Williams was like, I like to find I like to put an emphasis on finding my guys in the spots where they can score. And now I'm having to learn where to find Evan while doing that. And that's great, but Rob Williams isn't the only guy that's having to go through that learning curve. Everyone on that team is having to learn where to find Fournier that's going to be effective on the offense. And Fournier is having to learn where everybody else wants to get the ball. Jalen Brown wants to get it on the, on the wing in the slot. Jason Tatum really doesn't care where he gets the ball, but if you can find him in the mid-range, it's going to be great. Find him on the slot. He's going to ISO, so, you know, avoid the slot. Um Kemba Walker wants it coming off of a screen because he's a movement shooter or he likes to come off a screen and get downhill to cause reactionary defensive collapses. Um, so there's a lot that everybody needs to learn about each other. And then once you've learned that, now you need to do that within this scheme of the offense. So coming off your thumb down offense or your V cut, split cuts, whatever you want to, you know, we can just make up words at this point. As long as you know where you want to be and where you should be, coincides with a good look for you, then we're going to start seeing some really intelligent offense. And I think that having Evan Fournier on the floor, Brad Stevens mentioned it was a trickle-down effect. And just to kind of elaborate on that, what he means is you have to put one of the opposing team has to put one of their best defenders onto Evan Fournier, which then means now a weaker defender is on Jalen or Jason or Kemba or Romeo or Neesmith or Rob Williams or whoever you want to just throw names out there. It's fine. But whoever it is, is going to have a worse defender on them than what they would have done had Evan Fournier not been on this team. Now, I wasn't thrilled with adding Evan Fournier due to his contract situation. However, I think that this has been a really good piece of business. If Evan can keep this up, I understand it's only two good performances and we don't want to jump on this train where we all of a sudden believe that the Celtics are going to the promised land and everything's rosy. No, it's not going to be like that. I understand that the two wins come against teams that one is patched up. They're missing their two best players. The other one is probably the worst team in the NBA right now that have made some very questionable decisions with <laughs> trades and stuff this year. That's a, a different discussion completely. But getting wings against those teams isn't the same as doing this against Philadelphia, which we hope they do on Tuesday, right? I mean, do you agree? I think, yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest test, right? And I want to see, I want to see how the offense fares against Philadelphia, especially when you're looking at Rob Williams having to go against Joel Embiid assuming that you don't have Tristan Thompson back in the fold and somehow Tristan leapfrogs him for the start due to Embiid's physical nature, especially on the defensive end and getting him into the block. 
I want to see how the team reacts because I think right now when they've had Rob Williams on the floor, I, I do want to brush upon Rob just because he's been incredible. Robert Williams is just completely revolutionized the Celtics offense at this point. His ability to be a key passer for this team. Originally, I thought that Marcus Smart was the best passer in the Celtics. Uh, I have since been proven wrong. I think it's like 1A is Robert Williams, 1B is Marcus Smart. Those two are your main facilitators right now, and adding Evan Fournier to the mix is a cherry on top. Right now, Robert Williams is probably playing some of the best basketball I've seen out of a big man at Boston in a long, long time. And that excites me because for so long, we've tried to see him struggle to get healthy. And, you know, crazy enough, everything that happened with the pandemic, with this layover that he had, it finally allowed him to get healthy. And we saw some of those glimpses, specifically in the bubble against Toronto. And since that point, you know, it's just a matter of him getting into that groove. And right now, he's hitting a stride at the perfect time. The Celtics need to win some games. And as much as those two wins against Charlotte and Houston, yeah, of course, Houston obviously has a lot of things going wrong for them. Charlotte has a bunch of injuries. And honestly, I think the Celtics can relate in that sense of having a bunch of guys out, specifically key guys. Like, you're losing Gordon Hayward right now. He's going to be out probably until the rest of the regular season. You've got LaMelo Ball, clearly a front runner for Rookie of the Year with that broken wrist. You know, at least fortunately, he's not going to be out for the whole season. But you, you're down two key guys, and I think Boston has been able to relate to that in a lot of ways. But that's a team that you have to beat. You know, you talk about the Houston matchup, you talk about the Charlotte matchup. Those are two teams that you need to beat. And so far this season, we haven't been able to see that consistently. We've seen them cave against teams that they should beat, like the Cavaliers, or a, a, a must-win game against the Kings. So, or the Pistons. Yeah, well, the Pistons that are stings, difficult, right? Bro. That one's one that annoyed me the most, bro, losing to Detroit. Like, or or the Knicks earlier on, but now yeah, I mean, the, Knicks the Knicks are like Knicks is a, okay. Like the Knicks are having a yeah. good season. Like that's different. But I get what you're saying. Like the team has played down to the competition a bunch of times, and they've also come off the back of a good win, played against a team that, in the nicest way possible, they're a non-contending team. So they're a team you'd expect the Celtics to be coming in and basically steamrolling, and they've played absolutely horrendous. So. Seeing them do that on a back-to-back against Houston and Charlotte and actually win games you're supposed to win doesn't seem that impressive, but it's exactly what the Celtics needed to do. And the confidence that's going to come from those wins is what you hope to build and take you into a game against a team like Philly that are legit contend- like a legit threat with an MVP candidate in Embiid. Um, is Embiid back? Yeah, he's back. I so think, against think. Embiid, you got Ben Simmons. They've got some shooting. So and then obviously they've got Hill, who is a Boston destroyer. Um, so coming into that game with confidence, rather than coming in off the back of some really hard-fought games, is important. Being able to sit Jalen and Jason for the entirety of the fourth quarter against Charlotte means that they're, they're going to have fresher legs coming in against Philly. That's important. There's been a load of developments, um, literally, that come off this Rob Williams and Evan Fournier um, acquisition and moving Williams into the starting lineup that have been important. So I just double-checked to make sure. Uh, it does seem like Joel Embiid will not be back. Um, this is an article from Sports Illustrated. That yeah, I didn't think so. There. I know he's, I thought he might be out for a while. I thought he might be back sooner. Um, so he's expected probably... This is according to Sean Strania. Uh, he's expected to return Saturday night against the Timberwolves. So it looks like the Celtics may avoid him. So you still have to worry about Ben Simmons. I know Ben Simmons was catching a lot of heat on the 
on the Twitter feed last night. I have no idea why I wasn't watching their games. I haven't so, watched that game yet. Yeah, I kind of want to now just to see what people are kind of chatting about. But still, you're looking at going against Philadelphia, where they're in the rankings this year. Philadelphia's knocked the cover off the ball in the regular season. And this is kind of one of these situations, especially with Philadelphia, where you need to take this win in order to make sure you're not losing ground in the seeding. And then you get to go ahead back-to-back, go against the New York Knicks, which is another team that you have to beat. So these are, I wouldn't say prove-it games. I wouldn't say prove-it games because, obviously, specifically with Philadelphia, they're not healthy. But these are teams that you're going to most likely face in the playoffs at some point in some shape, way, manner, or form, depending how things stand when the dust settles. But... They're teams that you need to beat. So just go out there and take care of business. You're at home. That's a benefit. The Celtics have definitely been playing better at TD Garden, specifically as of late. And let let, it, let Evan Fournier cook. I want to see Evan Fournier do some stuff and see how Philadelphia reacts. I, I want to see, like, we've spent this much time talking about the offense, and um, I just want to chime in on the Rob Williams thing, then I'll get to my point on the defense. Um, I think Rob Williams has been phenomenal. Uh, I like the way that the Celtics have moved away from playing a lot of delay, where they have the big man just posted at the top of the perimeter. And they're using him more as a pick-and-roll um, pick guy, short-roll guy. They're getting him to facilitate out of the low block. They're using Rob in so many ways that teams are really struggling to figure out where that ball's going to end up on each possession. And that's what you want. You want that unpredictability, that continuity of unpredictability. Let's see how I just put words together and hope they sound good. Um, defensively, <laughs> coming up against a team like Philadelphia with multiple penetrators, Ben Simmons is, you know, Ben Simmons is going to do his work around the rim because he's not jumping up and pulling up from anywhere because it's Ben Simmons. Grant um, Hill's going to want to do his work after, after dribble a lot. So you're going to want to see now how Boston deal against a team that aren't trying to beat you from the perimeter that are actually very capable of getting to the rim and for punishing you at the rim. And Boston's biggest weakness um, this year, in my opinion, has been overhelping on drives, and which is opening up corner threes on both the weak and the strong side. So I want to see a little bit more discipline in their help schemes. And I think we started to see flashes of that against Charlotte. We saw some really good defensive stretches where the help defense was on time. There was very little missed rotations. When the defense was cooking, against Charlotte, and it wasn't all the way through the game, but there was some very important stretches where Boston just closed up shop. If they can do that against Ben Simmons and Hill and still be able to deter Curry from scoring from outside and battle down low with Dwight Howard and do work on Dwight, then now I'm starting to feel really good about this team because the defensive overhelping was a big issue for me. I also think that the, their perimeter defense is okay, but it hasn't been great. And then I think that what happens is they're collapsing far too easily. So coming up against a team that's going to force you to collapse, but force you to guard the perimeter, finding out how Boston defend on multiple levels now and where the improvements are coming from there, that's going to be interesting for me. And I, I don't know how much Luke Cornett plays a role in that with his uh, size and the way he defends laterally. He's got He's really good at staying very straight. Sorry, vertically, not laterally. He's really good staying straight when he goes up to the uh, defender shot. He, he doesn't jump into guys, doesn't kind of bend much. He's just literally up, and you you can't get called for a foul doing that. So I wonder if he, we're going to see any of him. And then, obviously, Romeo Langford played some really good um, point-of-attack defense against Charlotte, and I'd be intrigued to see how he does 
in the next game because I don't expect him to hit the ground running. I think that's very unfair. We saw some great flashes, and hopefully we can see more. But Boston need perimeter defenders, and if Romeo can consistently lock guys up or deter shots or contest hard shots and play a good luck and trail on his man, as, um, then we're going to see Romeo start to get minutes. And I think it's a good point that you mentioned Romeo specifically because he mentioned in his post game when you were talking about help def- defense and uh, over helping and that's hurting the Celtics. He made a clear point of saying when asked about his defensive impact, he said, well, you know, I'm a guy that stays in front of his guy. And I feel like when I'm on a defensive cover, you know, I help to the point where I don't need guys to overhelp. I can stay in front of my guy and, you know, contend the defensive possession. So, You've seen that a lot with him, and I think his defense is just as good as we saw it last season. You know, you obviously need him to get his conditioning back, and he specifically said, you know, I need to get my legs under me. He's had some bouts. His symptoms were pretty bad of COVID, four or five days worth of symptoms, and he still had some respiratory issues still. But a lot of it's just getting back into it and just getting back into a rhythm and groove. So even if it's just 12 minutes that you get out of him again, or maybe it's a little bit more than that, if he feels a little bit more comfortable against Philadelphia, that's another wing that you can turn to and depend upon. And even if he's just giving you right now just effort defense, um, contending shots, he had an amazing block uh, in that game at the rim. So that was really, really good to see against Charlotte. And specifically just getting him out there and getting him acclimated. You know, this is clearly a guy that Brad Stevens, he didn't put him in in crunch time or uh, junk garbage time, rather. He didn't throw him out there into garbage time to fend for himself. He had him in there as part of the rotation. Player developmental big. minutes is what Sean Grande said we should be calling Yeah, him. I also liked having uh, Sean Grande do the play-by-play. I know that Mike Gordon recovering from the vaccination, but I thought that was a good sub to be quite honest. I love Yeah, Sean I think Grandy. it was much better than Mannix. Um it is what it is. But no, I completely agree. I think that Evan Fournier as well is another guy that can defend. He's got some size to him, some length. Um, we've seen some good rotational defense from Fournier. I still want to see him more as a point of attack defender before I make a decision on how good or bad he is. But in terms of a help man and a guy that rotates over to kill driving lanes, I think we've seen good flashes from him there. So Boston have definitely added additional perimeter defense, additional guys that have the defensive IQ to be able to rotate over at at the right time because it's all well and good rotating over but if you're a step too quick or a step too slow step too quick the offense just um, adjusts and finds another way to finish step too slow what they've already finished they didn't need to adjust it needs to be about timing as much as it is about making the right defensive read and we're seeing that from multiple guys on this team right now and I think that Grant Williams has been a guy that's been a culprit for overhelping or underhelping at times. And I think that's why we've seen his minutes be very inconsistent because when he does help with his and uses his IQ to make that right read, he's a very, very valuable defensive guy. But when he's getting blown by on the perimeter and then making poor defensive reads for rotations, um, after you know on different defensive possessions sorry i lost my train of thought then then he's going to be a, a guy that struggles to get minutes and i think that grant we're going to see him play a little bit more small ball five but i just don't think his numbers going to be called as much as what it was last year and that's tough right part of it is also you've seen rob williams kind of blossom this year and just overall boston trying to run a double big lineup that's kind of made not obsolete, but Grant Williams' minutes have definitely dwindled down because of that. Now that you've got Daniel Tice out of here, you've seen Grant Williams get a little bit more time in. And, yeah, I, I think consistency has been a big part of that. 
And going back to perimeter defense, I think the Celtics perimeter defense has to be at a certain level in order for this team to survive, because that's kind of what it's been built upon for years is the perimeter defense being really, really strong. And back before they've gotten guys like Robert Williams, I mean, I can think of all the Boston bigs that they've had before previously. They're in a much better place at the center position, but way back when they needed to lean on their perimeter defense big time. And because of all the changes now, you've kind of had to readjust and there needs to be that effort. Yeah, absolutely. It comes down to reading it fast enough. They need to read and process, read and react as much as possible and set that perimeter defense up in order to protect your interior still. It all is connected. I mean, one of the biggest takeaways for me from both of these games, Houston and Charlotte, is that in both games, they were attacking Kemba Walker. They were trying to get switches onto Kemba in the post and then go to work against Kemba in the post. And it was very few opportunity, very few times that the Celtics scrammed Kemba out of there. They kind of left Kemba on an island and let Kemba have to deal with the bigger guy posting him up. And that's not going to win you games once the playoffs come around. Now, I'm fine with teams doing this. I'm fine with teams finding ways to switch Kemba onto them and hunting Kemba because that's exactly what's going to happen once you hit playoff basketball. So figuring out how to deal with that now and how to scram Kemba out of there and who you need to be putting on to these guys in the post and what works and what doesn't allowing to let teams focus on Kemba let them hunt him now because it's going to help you um, develop your defensive coverages for when the playoff comes but just leaving Kemba on an island to, and not switching him out of there not trying to develop some continuity with how you're going to deal with those type of um, plays and those teams that really do want to hunt Kemba uh, you're, you're creating bad habits and for a team that needs to be developing winning habits i don't want to see them getting too comfortable allowing kemba to get scored on in the low block even if it's early in a game even if they're up by 20 i think that you have to keep switching kemba out of there and learning what guys can defend the block against what type of player whether it be a, a lengthy wing or a strong big or a guy that likes to hit the fadeaway, a guy that wants to hit the drop step knowing your personnel knowing your scouting report and then making that scram switch is going to be ridiculously important in, in talking about defense too um with all the changes, I, I, I wanted to get your read on this. But with Daniel Tice out of the picture, like how do you feel about the defensive big net depth? I know that you added Mo Wagner, you've got Luke Cornett part of the equation, and Brad Stevens made a point of when they first acquired Luke Cornett, they really mentioned that they liked his pick and roll defense specifically and how he's able to defend that. And you mentioned his positioning as well, since he's such a tall figure. By him playing more upright, it makes it really difficult to get around him and get above him uh, when trying to get a shot off. How do you think these guys kind of figure into the equation, especially when you're adding in uh, Tristan Thompson once he gets healthy? Like, where does this all kind of stack up? Yeah, well, both Corner and Mo Wagner are one-year guys, right? Like, they're both unrestricted at the end of this season. So, for me, they were throw-ins to a deal that was designed to get you underneath the um, luxury tax. It was never really about who you were getting back. It was just about the, the money side of things. You don't want to go into the repeater tax next year after a year where you've really struggled to put a winning formula on the floor. Um, I think Cornet looks like he could be more valuable to the Celtics right now. I think Wagner looks like he's more of a project big that needs to be somewhere getting minutes. And he's not really getting, I mean, he was the garbage time big man last night against Charlotte. Um, he looks like he could be good. I know some people I spoke to that um, 
watched him in Washington, said he can be quite pesky, like some Celtic, if he got a good amount of run, he might be one of the guys the Celtics fans kind of fall in love with. But Luke Corner offers that floor spacing. He can run that pick and roll and then um, pick and pop. Jason Tatum seems to have figured out already where corner shots like to come from. Uh, he does look like he's going to be a streaky three-point shooter. We've seen some good nights. We've seen some bad nights. Defense is probably better than what Wagner's is. I think that once Tristan Thompson comes back, Luke Cornett's your third string big, Mo Wagner's your fourth string big. And that's fine because both of these guys don't project to be long-term pieces. But if you were going to choose one to keep around beyond this year, I would be very surprised if it wasn't Cornett. It is kind of funny that you talk about it as like throw-ins because I honestly was thinking, well, Cornett's probably going to get waived. You know, Mo Wagner is like a decent piece. He was a former first-round pick. Uh, was drafted by the Lakers, ended up actually getting salary dumped when they traded for Anthony Davis uh, due to kind of their mishandling of the salary cap situation uh, with the salary trying to free up everything. They ended up dumping him to Washington and kind of worked his way through some deadline stuff. He was originally supposed to be going to Chicago, then ended up getting rerouted to Boston. So that was his trade deadline day. But Cornette is such an interesting piece because he's 25 years old. He can hit the three ball. He's got size. You never know what's going to happen after the season. And I doubt he would actually fetch too much in the market. But, you know, if you can get a player that's an upgrade, that's capable of shooting the three, if you can get a guy who is of that same size, that same kind of mold, sure. But right now, considering that he was the throw-in piece and you needed to get under the salary cap, you weren't going to sign Daniel Tice to a long-term deal due to money situations. I don't think that's a bad outcome for the Celtics. I mean, he's he's providing you something that you're not really getting from most of your other guys. And as much as you love Rob Williams, he's not able to shoot threes yet. I will say yet because you never know with the development and stuff. But I think he's offering you a different skill set. And different skill sets are important for a team that is trying to find a way to win games. Yeah, and I mean, as much as I think Mo Wagner could is the better prospect and will end up having the better career between Cornet and Wagner. I do think that Cornette's ability to um, protect the rim and drop when you're playing pick and roll, because that's been the predominant way the Celtics have defended um, pick and rolls that have taken place within the within the um, sorry within the perimeter. So on the outside of the perimeter, they're icing or they're weaking. Once you break that three point line and running a, a pick and roll beyond the um, inside of the three, they're pretty much running drop defense. So you'll just have a guy drop back to protect the rim. Cornet's got the size and wingspan to be able to really deter guys driving in. And then on the other side of the floor, he can he can hit freeze. He can hit from the corner. He can hit from the wing. He can hit from the break. With Mo Wagner, I think you've got a more switchable big, somebody that could play within Boston, switch everything system. But I do feel like Brad Stevens has moved away from switching his five-man now. Uh, I think that he's definitely more inclined to have one through four switch and then five drop. And drop defense has become really... Um, prominent the last year or two, especially since the Lakers pretty much played that defensive coverage almost exclusively on the way to a championship last year. Uh, so I understand why Cornet's getting the nod. I also think that that three-point shooting and the floor spacing that comes with it, when you're asking your guys to penetrate more, to be able to create things off the dribble, create good looks for others by swinging it out after driving the lane. Having someone like Cornet there that opens up those driving lanes makes a bunch more sense 
then having somebody like Mo Wagner that's going to be having to figure out where to be in the mid-range or the donker spot area, at least with Rob, his spacing comes from the lob threat. So teams have to provide spacing to defend that lob threat. I don't know what type of spacing Mo Wagner can really provide you. And I think this is where Tristan Thompson has struggled to really make his presence felt on this team as well, because he just doesn't provide the spacing that the Celtics require to be an effective unit. Yeah, and you, you can tell from the change in the way that the Celtics have played lately, especially with the way that they're attacking and cutting. As we mentioned before, they're trying to get some backdoor cuts going. The spacing has gotten loads better when they've just got one big on the floor. So I don't know about you. I'm very much hoping that this is the death of the double big lineup, especially at the beginning of the season. I was half expecting them to just trot out one big and decide between Tice and Thompson based on matchups who would kind of start and you would run Tatum at the four, because if you look at the minutes, you know, from where he was playing it last year, Jason Tatum played most of his minutes at the four spot. So going forward, I don't know how it's going to change. I don't know. I, I think Rob's situation, the way that he's playing kind of impacts the situation moving forward. With Tristan Thompson, you have to think about Cornette. I imagine that Tristan Thompson is still going to be your second big and Maybe he's a little bit lower when he's coming back because you have to build up his conditioning. He's obviously missing time due to COVID-19. No idea how bad his symptoms are, but I got to figure this is going to be the death of double big lineup unless you absolutely 100% need to run it. But I don't think you have the personnel to do that anymore. Do you? Like, I just don't think so. No, I mean, you could run Tice at the four and feel comfortable about it because Tice was versatile enough to be able to operate as a secondary guy a secondary big that could screen and roll and give you spacing in the corners and you'd feel good about finding him there luke cornett can hit from the corner but he's by no means a four and he should never see time at the four um, rob williams is by no means a four he doesn't provide you any spacing so you've lost daniel tice is what allowed that two big lineup to happen in my opinion by moving away from Tosh, you have to move away from that too big lineup because I just don't understand where the continuity comes from by putting somebody like Mo Wagner there. It just doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, so I genuinely think we're going to see a battle between Rob and Tristan for those starting five minutes. And then we're going to see the other guy play the second string big. And I don't mind who wins that battle in the regular season, but once the playoffs come, I'm expect I want Rob there. Um, I also think Rob's probably going to get those minutes now because the offense has just looked so much more fluid with him with the starters. And Tristan Thompson can control the glass on the defense, um, on the second unit and allow some of the guys like Evan Fournier to really push the pace on the break. Peyton Pritchard loves to run the floor. Romeo Langford loves to run the floor. Having somebody that can just command the defensive glass and just focus on hitting the right outlet pass is going to be crazy important. If that's all you're asking Rob to do, you're limiting his impact. If that's all you're asking Tristan Thompson to do, you're kind of um, improving his impact exponentially because he's not really going to give you any scoring apart from putbacks, um, which I actually think he's a downgrade from Cantor in that area. Um, but he's an upgrade from Cantor in defense, so you kind of live with it. But I definitely think Thompson complements the second unit far more than what Rob Williams does because of Rob's impact with his starting five. And that definitely comes with the passing. I think I agree with Tristan Thompson in comparison to Canner. Canner uh, obviously was a much more gifted offensive player in terms of putbacks, as you said. His ability to work the basket inside and get those second chance buckets as well was big for the Celtics, especially. You know, they would go on droughts in the playoffs. They had a moment where they turned to him and needed to get some points in some of those games, and he was able to deliver. 
I don't think you could say the same about Tristan Thompson, but I think that's all right. I think from the Celtics perspective, you live with that because you need the defense from your big man spot. You don't need your big man to be the main offensive producer. And when it comes to Rob Williams, it's not like Rob Williams is trying to back people down in the post. Usually it's a situation where the ball gets kicked inside or he's getting an offensive rebound and working it around, or he's just doing whatever he can in terms of, you know, rim running and just getting open for lobs. That's one dynamic I've never seen the Celtics really have is having a big man who can get up like that consistently and catch these lob threats. It's just, it's a completely different kind of dynamic uh, than we've seen from the Celtics offense. I think it's just one of those things where you're bringing in a guy who's just completely revolutionizing it in that way. I know I used that before, but I've, I haven't seen a player like Rob Williams in a long time. And then can we look at, I mean, we need to give some credit to Marcus Smart as well here. Mm-hmm. I think that Rob Williams' impact offensively and taking some of the playmaking responsibilities away from Smart, Evan Fournier coming in and taking some of those shooting opportunities away from Marcus Smart, I think that's fired Smart up. He's been better defensively since that ridiculous heave, um, his J.R. Smith moment. I think that his playmaking is actually looking really good right now. He's not really forcing his reads. Uh, that one love pass to Rob Williams stands in my mind from the Hornets game. Um, and I think that the addition of Fournier and the growth of Rob Williams has actually allowed Marcus Smart to focus on the areas of his game where he's ridiculously good. That's perimeter defense. That's def- um, being capable of guarding one through five. Obviously, the higher up that number chain you go, the smaller the sample size should always be. But the fact that he's capable of doing so for short stints is really important. And him not focusing on his own numbers and he's actually hitting threes at a better percentage now because he's not jacking them up. We're not seeing Marcus. We see Jalen Brown heat checks. We don't see Marcus Smart heat checks. And I want that to continue. And I think that's a huge byproduct of Rob Williams getting the starting minutes and of Evan Fournier coming into the team. Do you think he's improved over the last few games? It definitely feels like it. And I don't know exactly what lit a fire under him defensively, but I'm not going to complain about it. Whatever it's getting Marcus Smart to do what he does best, as you said, Marcus Smart is easily their best defender when he's locked in, and that's the big caveat. I think this past season you've seen him try and take on more than he can really handle offensively, and it's not that I don't trust him to shoot. It's just I don't need him to shoot that much. Having him take all of these threes when it's really not that necessary. You know, I've always said, and I will reiterate it again, I think Marcus Smart's best role is when he's facilitating for others because I think he has such an ability to read the defense an ability to find where his guys are at, and he gets crafty with this passing. You know, when he's a facilitator for this team, especially when you look at the way that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have kind of struggled to facilitate for others, taking the ball out of their hands and having guys like Rob Williams and Marcus Smart move the ball around and find them in their spots, that that works wonders because he keeps the ball moving. And ultimately, it's not like you need other guys besides Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to take those shots, but adding Evan Fournier to the mix is just another weapon that teams have to account for. You know, he's got that defensive gravity. So having multiple playmakers is not a bad thing. And I think having guys that take the ball out of Marcus Smart's hand at times and letting him do what he does best on the other end, it just it, it just fits. Like all the pieces are starting to come together. And I won't say it's fixed, but like you have to, you kind of have to see how it meshes together long term. And the last thing I want to touch on before we let everybody get on with their day is Kemba Walker. I think Kemba Walker the last few games has looked great. Um, I still think that obviously defensive flaws are there. We can all see them. There's been some times where he just can't score. We saw him really struggle to see the ball drop in the first half of the Hornets game. But once he starts attacking the rim, 
we start to be reminded of what type of player Kemba is. I think that his ability to put the ball on the floor and really put pressure on def um, defenses, especially if he gets a big man um, switched onto him and Kemba's on the dribble, then we're going to see some great stuff. That step mid-range step back is still awesome. We saw it pulled out yesterday. Um, and what I do want to note is, and I've noted this before, the games where Kemba isn't playing are generally the games where Boston are struggling to win. So the fact that everybody's saying that Kemba is is washed and isn't great, his impact on the team can be seen from the nights where he doesn't play the back-to-back. -back. And I think that he, while he isn't the player that everybody wanted when he was signed from Charlotte, and he isn't the player that we saw during those first few months after coming from Charlotte, he's still showing a large amount of value and his performances are improving on a game-to-game -game basis right now. Uh, and again, it's just another guy that I think is figuring stuff out figuring out how to be a ball handler that isn't a primary offensive option. That must be difficult to do. And I think that he's putting things together quite well at the moment. And I, I liked his performance against Charlotte last night. Yeah, and I think I think the biggest thing I want from Kemba Walker, as you were saying, to work that mid-range, I think he did that really, really well in the playoffs. When his three ball wasn't there, he turned to his mid-range and he was hyper-efficient from there. Now, you're asking Kemba Walker to kind of change his entire play style a play style that he's been leaning on for, you know, seven plus years at this point in the NBA. So to ask a guy to come in and be that guy and then change, it, it's going to take a little bit of adjustment period. I think having him take less threes, having him work more inside, attacking the paint, uh, obviously is going to force defenses to collapse. They're going to have to respect him because it's still Kemba Walker. And that's why you're seeing it where he's not playing the offense kind of gets stagnant because it's another guy that is off the floor that defenses have to respect. You can't leave Kemba Walker open. Even if he's struggling, you can't leave him open. So having him out there, having him attacking that mid-range, that's where I want him to do his work. It's going to force defenses to collapse. And especially if you're running him out there with Evan Fournier, he's he had a, an amazing pass the other game where he just – I don't even know how he saw him before. He's like, I think he's back there somewhere. And he just kicked the ball back there. And it was just like an immediate drain three. So if you have guys waiting in the wings capable of shooting the three like that, then yeah, it's going to make things easier for Kemba Walker as he adjusts to this. I think he needs to be a bit of a more of a, a facilitator and attacking the paint helps with that. So take less threes, attack the paint more. It's not like he, he doesn't need to take like less threes in the sense of like Marcus Smart, but you know, I, I want him to attack the mid-range more. I think that's where he's extremely lethal. And adding guys that can score at multiple levels or having guys that you can turn to that score at multiple levels. Like, you need to work it inside. You get it to Rob so you can, you know, go up for a lob. Or you want to get three-pointers or you guys want to get cutting. So, like, being able to attack different ways, it's like a Swiss Army knife for the Celtics offense. You just got to be able to, you know, turn to it and unlock it when you need it. Yeah, the, having this amount of shooters fits exactly into what Brad Stevens wants to do. Fits into their playbook nicely. Having enough guys that can leverage scoring opportunities off each other and use each other's scoring gravity to create open opportunities for themselves or others. And we're starting to see that work. I think Evan Fournier really does feel that... Um, that scoring gravity they lost with Hayward. And I think that with that scoring gravity comes playmaking opportunities that Boston have been missing. So we're definitely seeing a better performance from the team as a whole. But I do think some individual performances have been improving as well. Kemba, Marcus, um, Rob Williams is just on a ridiculous trajectory right now. Um, so I'm really excited. Everybody, thank you for listening. As usual, sorry, it's a little bit late. 
if you enjoyed listening please leave that five star written review i like reading them they make me feel good and they help the show out a bunch and uh, i'm not even joking like each review really helps grow the show it helps put that the show in front of new new eyes new audiences and it tells me what i'm doing right or what i could be improving on if you want to leave me some constructive criticism that's completely fine but leave it with that five star because that's what helps the most tim thank you for joining me today my guy uh, everybody you'll catch me on wednesday when i drop the um locker room live mailbag which will be happening today at 4 p.m eastern if you want to join in that's fine follow me at adam taylor nba on social media and on locker room and be in a position to fire questions towards me tell me what you like what you don't like or whatever you want to do i'll be there for an hour follow straight after me will be mr keith smith at 5 p.m eastern on locker room and you can do exactly the same to him fire questions at him and do whatever you want from there again tim thank you very much for this. cheers man thank you for having me on always a pleasure